We're so glad that you've joined us today on the Relevant Church Podcast. There's so much God wants to do in and through you as you listen to this message. If you want to learn more about Relevant Church, visit us online at thisisrelevant.cc. So we're unpacking the book of Philippians, line by line, verse by verse. We're in a series called Archetypes. Archetypes, we started this a few weeks ago. We're in part four. This is going to be a series that's going to last about eight to nine weeks. We're going to just go slowly through it. One thing I love about uh, Scripture is when you go through it expositionally and expository, where we're taking it line by line, verse by verse, and saying, God, what do you want to say to us in this series called Archetypes? Uh, The meaning of archetype, if you've never heard of that term, I remember even when I presented it to our team, they were like, what the heck is an archetype? Like, why are we talking about archetypes? An archetype is a very typical example of a certain person or thing. An archetype is, a, is representative of what something is. The person who's writing this letter, because uh, most of the New Testament are a bunch of letters written by a guy named Paul who was once far away from God, or so he thought, how many of you guys know you think you're far away from God, but God is very near and dear to you? There's nowhere that you are that God cannot be. God, God is in the bar. He's in the strip club. God is in the church. And God will meet you wherever he wants to. So on his way to go persecute and kill some Christians, God meets this guy. He transforms his life. He starts planting churches all over the place. Philippi is one of the places that he plants a church. And so Paul, as a faithful church planner and, and, and pastor, he writes letters to encourage his church because they didn't have email. He couldn't send a FaceTime. There was no Zoom meeting. He couldn't have board meeting via Zoom. So what he did is wrote letters to his church. And as he's writing this letter, he's actually in prison. He's stuck in a Roman jail chained up to Roman guards 24 hours a day. He can't go anywhere. He can get visitors. He doesn't know whether he's going to be acquitted or he's going to die. Essentially, how Romans use the jail system was not the way we do it right now. In American or Western culture of the jail, they put you in there as punishment for something that you've done, and later on they let you out. In, Ro- in Roman time, the only time you went to jail is either you're about to get acquitted or you're about to die. There's only two things. There's no like, oh, you're just going to spend some time in here, and then you've faced your punishment, and now you can go home. No, it's either you're going to be cleared of all of your charges or you're going to die. He has no clue what's coming towards him. And yet he writes this letter as a manifesto of joy. He's in the worst condition possible, having no clue what the future holds, yet he writes to encourage his churches. He writes to tell them about how joyful he is, about how much joy is in Christ, about how joyful his experience is. He says, man, listen, people are hating on me. I'm still in joy. I'm in chains. I'm still in joy. Don't know whether I'm going to die or not. I'm still in joy. Paul is an archetype of joy. And what we've been learning in this series is that as believers of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we can become archetypes of joy as well, too. 
and show that in the midst of trial, in the midst of dysfunction, in the midst of frustrations that our life encounters. Because how many of y'all know every time it gets good, some the shoe drops. Man, things were good just a week ago. But we can show the world. We can show everybody around us that in the midst of this broken world, we can exemplify the fruit of joy. And I'm telling you, if you haven't caught up in this series yet, you got to check it out. First two messages, I think we're all right. I preach and they're okay. But Pastor Lewis came last week with that heat. This brother preached the house down. Preached the house down. And so where we're at in Philippians chapter 2, Paul has heard that there's a little drama in the church. That never happens in churches. This was a one-off experience. There's never drama in church. Church is a drama-free zone, Danae. He's heard that there's a little bit of drama, that there's a couple of individuals that are, are not getting along. In Philippians 4, 2, it tells us what's going on, and, and he doesn't tell us exactly what's happening, but he's like, man, tell these two individuals to knock it off and just get along. You guys are starting and sowing discord in the church. Y'all need to get it together. And how he encouraged them to get it together, he invites them to adopt a different mindset. Because it's all about mindset. This whole book of Philippians is all about mindset. Your disposition has everything to do with your mindset. If you want to create a great experience for yourself, all you have to do is the right mindset. And people might say like, oh man, that's that Eastern philosophy, Zen type stuff. No, 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 it's biblical. It's all about your mindset. And we, we hear in this text, he's going to mention the mind so many times because he's trying to remind us whether good or bad, whether situation high or low, you can experience it how you want to experience it if you have the right mindset. Mindset has proven to be instrumental in Paul's joy through the midst of trial. So essentially, what Philippians is, is the golden key to how to develop a better mindset. Chapter 1, he begins by telling us that the secret of joy in the midst of any circumstance is having the single mind. Go back and listen to about it. I'm not going to dive deep into it because we got a lot of ground to cover here. But you got to have the single mind. You got to know what your purpose is. You got to understand why you're here, what you were created for. So in spite of your circumstances, if you've got a single mind, no matter what comes your way, you can say, I'm good. You can say, I'm good. You might lose your job. I'm good. People might quit talking to you while you're at school. I'm good. You and your spouse might get into a heated uh, argument or, or feel like you're on the rocks. I'm good. I can hold my composure. Your life can feel like it's being flipped upside down. And you can still say, I'm good. However, the secret of joy, in spite of people, because how, how many of y'all know some people just, just, people just... There's just some people. 
Y'all feel me? Like, all I say, I'm like, just some people, I'm like, yeah, I can see him in my face right now. The secret of joy in spite of people. There's, there's just some people where you're just like, I just don't like you. I have given it my greatest effort. Have you ever tried to like someone like, I'm going to be committed. Thank you, Dustin. I'm going to be committed to enjoy this person. And then when they breathe, you're like, I don't even like your breath. <laughs> I don't like your face. I don't like the way you blink. Your blink annoys me. That's just real, right, Heidi? You're just like, why do you blink like that? don't like you. However, the secret of joy in spite of people is the submissive mind. We don't like that term. Submission is a term that has been depopularized in common society because submission says that you're no longer in control. Submission says that someone is overlording you. Submission says that you're weak, that you're powerless, that you're being taken advantage of. However, we're going to see submission take on a different tone, a different light through this text. So we're going to begin right in Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to read these two verses in the ESV, which we primarily read out of. But then I'm going to go back and read it in the NLT because I feel like it just, it explains it just a little bit better, a little bit clearer. This is what it says, Philippians chapter 2. It says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. He's used mind already three times because it has everything to do with your mind has everything to do with your mind. So, in the NLT, it reads really awesome, and I had it up, and then it went away, and so now I gotta find it, but I'm gonna talk like a preacher does, so that it feels like I'm still preaching, and you guys don't think I've lost my place, because I found it, boom, see how I did that? <laughs> he says, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the spirit, are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, working together with one mind and purpose. This is a rhetorical question he's not asking them to answer. In fact, they can't really answer because he's sending them a letter, so it would take him months to get their response. So he's asking them to think about it. Is there any value in your faith? Is there any value in your relationship with Jesus Christ? Is there any depth to your experience as a Christian? Do any of these qualities exist among you guys? Because if they did, then do me a favor. Allow my joy to be full. I'm already in chains. 
I already got haters coming after me. There's people talking bad about me. I don't know whether I'm going to die or live. Hey, listen, if, if your faith has meant anything to you, the faith that I came and preached, the faith that I came to deliver to you, the Jesus that I proclaim to you, if any of this matters, can you do me a favor? Can y'all just get on the same page? Allow me to get joyful. Allow my joy to be full. I want you guys to be united. I want you guys to be connected. I want you guys to be of one purpose. The same mind means the same attitudes, the same affections. I I need you guys to be on the same page about your faith, about your purpose. I need you guys to have a single mind. Adopt a united mindset. And that's a little frustrating living in the world that we are today because there's so many different opinions and so many different mindsets out there. Right in the church, you can have individuals who are staunch Republicans, staunch Democrats, and staunch everything else. You can have individuals in the same church who are pro-LGBTQ rights and who are vehemently against LGBTQ rights. You can have the same church, Christian believers, who uh, believe in the right to life and the sanctity of marriage, and you can have individuals in the very same church who believe in abortion and who believe that, hey, everyone is free to marry who they want to. How do we have the same mind? Paul, what you're asking for us to do is literally ridiculous. It's impossible. We can't be of the same mind. Paul, I I vote this way. They vote that way. I don't know if we can really be aligned. I I don't know. They they have certain beliefs. They raise their kids this way. I raise my kids this way. It's a different mind. They listen to this type of music. I listen to this type of music. I don't know if we can really get along. There's a difference between unity and uniformity. Huge difference. Uniformity is a monolith. Everybody has the same views on every position, same stances on every situation. Exactly, they're drones. We're just doing all the exact same thing. Unity is different. Unity says you're allowed to have your opinions, Taya. I'm not allowed to, I'm not allowed to have my opinions. But the single mind is this. We all believe in Jesus Christ. We're all trying to get to the same place. And while we may have differences in certain things, we are st- going to stay unified because what unites us is much deeper than what separates us. You could be Democrat and I could be Republican. You could be uh, 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 this and you could be that. You could be whatever. You could be black. You could be white. You could be conservative. You could be liberal. But at the end of the day, the single mind that we have is Jesus Christ, born, buried, risen, coming back again. We are on the same page. We'll figure it out later. We're unified. Has God called us to mission? 100%. Has God called us to love people? Gay, straight, lesbian, transgender? Yes. Whether you believe that they should be, whether you believe that they shouldn't be. Can we just say, can we love them right where they're at? Why? Because Jesus loved me right where I was at. And I know I'm just as bad as everybody else. We are unified. We are unified. 
There's a difference between unity and uniformity. And what he's saying, hey, authenticity is the only requirement. Let people be what they are and just be unified and be of single mind. He's going to break down what the single mind means. He's going to break it down in a second. And I share that because I tell you that is one of the fundamental points of our culture and our ethos at this church is authenticity is the only requirement. Just come as you are. You know, churches say that all the time. Oh, just come as you are. And then when you walk in, you're like, mm. <laughs> oh, just come as you are. And then you get in a conversation with them. Oh, can you believe what they believe? We really believe that at Relevant Church. There's some people who I've sat down with who literally are polar opposed to certain thoughts that I have. But that's still my brother and my sister in Christ. Because at the end of the day, what unites us, Dana, is so much bigger, massive, that what separates us. So he's like, listen, what's this mindset? Let me explain to you what it looks like first. Let me let you know what it looks like. Verse 3 and 4. Verse 3 and 4, he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than ourselves, than yourselves, excuse me. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Man, I feel like we need to read that again. Somebody needs to hear this. Do nothing. In fact, let's read it together. Can we read this together? Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, Count others more significant than yourself. Next verse. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Do you know what he's saying here? You know the golden rule, do unto others as you want them to do unto you. He says, nope, just do unto others. Doesn't matter what you get in return for it. Doesn't matter how they treat you. Just show up for people. Let each of you not look to his own interests. Listen, do nothing from selfish, uh, 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 or selfishness or conceit. He says, don't do anything to expect anything back in return. Literally, just love first. Love first. Whether they love you back, just love first. Don't be selfish. Don't be conceited. Don't be arrogant or prideful. There is not one prideful person in a church. There are no arrogant people in churches, so I shouldn't even be preaching this to y'all because y'all are perfect. None of y'all are selfish. Y'all just, just loving and giving. No, it happens everywhere. And Paul's like, listen, y'all, I'm hearing some things about you guys. I love the way you love Jesus. I, I know that the good work that he started in you, he will be the one to complete. But let me tell you something. There's some of y'all that are walking in selfishness. There's some of you guys who are walking, thinking about yourself and arrogantly and, and pridefully walking. And it's easy to be like, well, you know what? I serve. I do these things. I show up. I give. Do you know sometimes serving and giving is out of pride and not out of generosity and faithfulness? I love when people come and tell me, well, you know, pastor, you know, we just gave a pretty significant gift. So? Good. 
What you expect me to say? Pat you on the back? That's what you're supposed to do. Christians are supposed to live in generosity. You know, I signed up, you know, I just, I'm compelled. I'm serving in every area. I'm going to serve this area. I'm going to serve in this area. Good. That's like my son. Where's Isaiah? If Isaiah showed up to my room, knocked on the door, hey, Dad, I washed the dishes. And? Were you not supposed to? Listen, this dude, this is one of the best dishwashers in the house. Right there, there you go. Best dishwashers. Right there. But some of us walk around with this humble pride. I got to watch it my own stuff. Man, I'm so busy. Man, life is so full. Man, I'm so busy. Oh, man, you know, I just, I, I can't do because I'm just, I'm so busy. Why? God never called us to be busy. He called us to be full and fruitful. Proverbs talks about having anxious toil. Why, why, why do you go to sleep in, in late for anxious toil? Why do you get up early for anxious toil? Go get a good night rest. Listen, I'm preaching to the choir. Just so you can say you're busy and you can impress people by how much you got on your plate and how much you're taking on and how much you're doing. You know what? It's prideful. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humilities count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Many of us are so caught up in our world that we forgot that the world is a mission field. God has called us to live with our eyes forward to people. I don't know if you remember the message Pastor Jonathan preached. He's like, man, most of us are like this. God, I just want to worship you. God, I just want to honor you. God, I'm just here for you. And we forget that there's a whole world back there who we got our backs turned to. I mean, practical things. People think that it's cute that we have, you know, people in the parking lot and, you know, like, oh, you guys are so cool. You guys are just, you like, oh, man, that's so innovative. Like, no. We want to be first to see people who are walking in. We want to let them know somebody was expecting you. Somebody was waiting for you. Welcome home. I'm so glad you're here. Here, park here. We reserved this spot just for you. Oh, here, come and meet our, our welcome team. They're here celebrating you. We're, we're, we're holding signs to say, hey, you look good. Today is the day that the Lord has made. Jo rejoice and be glad in it. We're expecting you. Cafe, you know, I can't wait. We got an espresso machine in the back and all of that. We're not trying to do that to be the cool, trendy church that's got espresso. No, we're just going to be like, hey, we're, we're creating this space so that you can know that we were ready for you, that we love you. You might have had a long night last night. You might need an extra espresso shot to pick you up. We are doing this for you, not so that we can look cool. Count others more significant than yourself. Count others more significant as yourself. This is not about being a religious doormat. 
This is not about just allowing yourself to be taken advantage of with every beck and call of somebody who needs you. You know why? Because there are some freaking leeches. Can we just be real? Every time you talk to somebody, oh, you know, I need this. Oh, I'm struggling. Can I have this? No, we're not talking about every time you hear somebody whining and complaining about something that you're just like, oh, I'm just shelling out, I'm just shelling out. You got to be careful because some people literally just come to church so that they can leech off of you because they know you're going to be benevolent. I'm not talking about allowing yourself to just be used and abused. I'm talking about an, an intentional, attentive effort to see the needs, to see first, to love first, to show up first. Because the the natural human disposition, why y'all even give me a time clock? Y'all know I ain't going to follow that time clock. Just turn it off. I got 13 minutes left. I, I'm one-third in the message. Goodness. Y'all should know by now. Look, Jose is like, turn it off. Just, just turn it off. Just turn off the time clock. Listen, where was I at? I lost my train of thought. Yes, the natural human disposition is selfish. I had a pastor that used to say, like, you know, you see babies, cute, little, oh, he seems cute, laughing. Take away that bottle from him. Watch how he turns on you. <laughs> when he's hungry and he's ready to go, dad, don't be, get, don't be too close and frisky with mama because those are mine right now. <laughs> like, I should not have to fight a five-month-old to be with my wife. The natural human disposition is selfishness. We're self-serving. When we become toddlers, what are they? Mine, mine, mine. They get on, on the play field and, and, and they're fighting against each other and, and wrestling with each other because they want to be first. I want to be king of the hill. No, you got to pick first. No, I want to be it. I want to be. The natural human disposition is selfishness. And we've got to adopt this mind that says, no, 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 no. I can't only put myself first. I've got to look out for the interests of others as well, too. I've got to submit one to another as to Christ. Why? Because I've got an opportunity to serve someone else. If I have a single mind and my purpose is clear, and my purpose is sure, and I know why I exist, and I know what God has put me on this earth for, and I live a mission-driven, vision-led life, I will have no issue having a submission, sub, submissive mind that leans to passion for people. I want you to underline something. If you, or, or if you're on an electric, electronic Bible, Verse 4, where he says, let each of you look not only to his interests. He didn't say, don't look at your own interests, because that's what we all the time think. We think when we talk about having a submissive mind or having to look out for the interests of others, that we're automatically supposed to neglect ourselves. No, no, no. He says, let each of you look not only to his own interests. The, the, the key word right there is only. Because Scripture tells us, love others as you love yourself. So what came first? You. So don't sit here and tell me, uh, uh, I'm not telling you not to love yourself. 
I'm not telling you to be selfless, so selfless that you neglect your own care. But what the Bible's trying to teach us, don't just only look at yourself. And can I tell you why this matters? Because a lot of us only look at ourselves. The reason it exists in Scripture is because this is a sign that God is trying to teach us something because we're not living this. It's important for you to look out for yourself. It's important for you to be healthy. It's, a, it's important for you to, 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 to have a, a, a healthy rhythm and pattern in your life. But it's, 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 it's not at the expense of serving and loving someone else. It's a both and, not an either or. And that's why here we say this, serving each other is how we roll, R-O-L-E. It's our being. It's who we are. It's not something that we do. It's not something that we do. We are individuals who, who, who say, listen, it's not just about us. I, I've, I've taken care of myself. I, I've, I've been good with myself. Let me tell you something. A lot of people say, like, you know, I can't come to church. You know, I can't serve because I just need to be fed. So what have you been doing all week? Well, you know, I just, I'm in a season where I just need to sit and I need to just receive. So what the heck have you been doing all week? Have you not been in communion with God at all? So your communion with God is one to two hours on a Sunday morning. And you call yourself a Christian and a believer. Jesus is my Lord and Savior between 10 and 12 on Sunday morning. I surrender all but two hours. That's what, that's what he's dealing with us here with. The key idea in this chapter is others. It's others. Let each of you not only look to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And Paul breaks down in the rest of this chapter who lived this out so well. Jesus. And then he points to himself. I'm striving for this. This is what I'm living for. Then he points to Timothy. He's young Padawan in the faith. Then he points to Epaphroditus. And over these next couple of weeks, we're going to look at these individuals' lives. Today, we're going to start with Jesus because it all begins with Jesus. It's all about Jesus, because Jesus is relevant. Jesus is first. Jesus is last. Jesus is only. Jesus in, in between. It's all about Jesus. So, you got the idea. Hey, get along, be unified. Look out for one another. If you want to see this practically at work, verse 5. Have this what? Have this what? Mind. It all goes back to the mind. This is the believer's side of the, the room. Y'all ain't saying nothing. Y'all don't love Jesus. <laughs> Jeez. Have this what? Mind. Oh, they're saved now. Look at how it happened. In one moment, justified. <laughs> declared righteous. Hallelujah. He said, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form, I 
love that. He's like, yeah, preach that, preacher. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. What's the mindset? The mindset of Christ. What type of mind should you have? The mindset of Christ. Who exemplified the submissive mind? Christ. He says, have the same mind which is yours in Christ by virtue of your adoption into the kingdom of God because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. This mind has now been imputed into you, and now you carry this mindset. God has taken away your heart of stone that was selfish and given you a heart of flesh. So cultivate this mind that's already yours. Tap into it. You already have it. Also, it was modeled by Jesus. Not only do you have it, but you also have the model in front of you. So he breaks it down. Though he was in the form of God, this is not physical. We remember God is not physical. God is spirit, John 4, 24. What he's saying, he was in the form of God. He was everything about him, this, 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 this Greek word, morph. Is how we talk about how we metamorphosize, we, we, we become something, we, we become it. Jesus, the pre-incarnate Christ, was not like God. He was God. He is true and exact nature. He possessed all the qualities and the characteristics of God. Before Jesus was born, he eternally existed as part of the triune God. Father God, Father Son, I mean a son and Holy Spirit. <laughs> Jesus is God. He was in the form of God. Before he took on the form of man, he was God. Always was. Always will be. He didn't count equality with God now. A thing to be grasped. Equality with God he is part of the triune Godhead. He is equal, co-equal with God the Father and God the uh, Holy Spirit. He's co-eternal with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. He's co-creator with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. The plan of salvation was worked out between all three of them. They're not, di they're distinct persons, but the same substance. I know it's kind of hard. We're going to theology. I'm teaching the intro to theology class in Relevant Leadership College right now, so this is fresh on my mind. Everything about God is the same. But God exists eternally in three different persons. The same, but different in function equally serving and loving one another, cooperating in a divine unity that would blow our minds. And we use simple human terms to try to explain what all of this means, but can I tell you the majesty and the supremacy of God, of Jesus, the Father, Holy Spirit, is so far beyond our minds can even think or imagine. All we know is that you are God, and you are eternal, and we honor you. Yeah. 
because you are far beyond us. But he didn't even count that equality with God, even though he was God. He didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He didn't use it for his own benefit, Corn. He's like, I can do whatever I want. I'm God. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm, I'm not going to hold on to it vehemently. I'm telling you right now. That's why I couldn't have been part of the triune God, because I ain't coming down to save none of y'all knuckleheads. <laughs> Let's remake them. We're God, right? Hey, Father God, hey, remember how we were going to, like, go and send me down there? I got a better idea. Kill them all. I'm not about to die for you. No, sir. But Jesus' mindset was, how do I serve others? Instead of, what do I get out of this situation? Jesus' mentality was an unselfish concern for others. Jesus looked not only to his own interests. Jesus looked not only to his power and his position and his authority, Taya. He didn't think about who he was and say, you know what? We're going to figure out a different way. He says, no, I'm going to go look out for them. 20 times in the New Testament, God reminds us and instructs us to look out for others, to live for one another. I'm going to show you just a couple of one another's. I don't have them on the screen, but Romans 12, 10, outdo one another in showing honor. 1 Thessalonians 5, encourage one another. Galatians 6, 2, bear one another's burdens. Romans 14, 13, don't judge one another. Romans 15, 14, teach one another. Can I tell you, others is the key word in the vocabulary of Christians with a submissive mindset. It's about others. And at Relevant Church, our culture here is deference over preference. Deference over preference. I'm going to choose what's good for the whole rather than what's beneficial for me. Jesus absolutely could have chose himself. But he chose others. He outdid us in showing honor. He came and he taught us. He did not judge the woman caught in adultery. He says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Jesus bore our burdens. He bore our shame. He was bruised for our iniquities. He went to the cross for us. Jesus lived the one another life. He lived the submissive mindset. The submissive mindset just says, you know what? I'm going to think about somebody else. I'm going to submit to the call of God on my life, to this purpose of loving people, honoring people. Verse 7. Are you guys tracking with me? But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, 
being born in the likeness of men. Can I tell you, it's not just enough to consider others. We've got to put our actions to where our affections are. And most of us love to talk about it. But we don't love to be about it. Imagine a spouse that tells you they love you, but never comes home. Verbally abuses you. Neglects time spent with you. Doesn't cover you spiritually. Imagine, imagine having a parent who says they love you, but they never show up for you. Never consider your thoughts, your feelings. Never ask you how you're doing. Don't invest time in you. I told you guys a couple of weeks ago, I can't stand it when people in church tell me they love me. Don't like it. Because most times I recognize that their affections are proved by their actions. That's why I say, like, you have a fond affection for me. It's not love. Because as soon as I say something that's going to make you mad, you're out of here. What's love? Love is long-suffering, is patient, is kind does not boast. If you really love somebody, they say something that you don't like, you're going to go to them and say, hey, I didn't like what you said. Can we get on the same page? Oh, man. Half the times, they don't even give you an opportunity to say sorry. Well, pastor, he just... That's not love. Furthermore, I don't like it when people say, I love this church. I love this, oh my gosh, I love this church. Then why do you keep making excuses of why you can't serve this church that you say you love? No, 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 let me help you. You love the idea of this church. You love the benefit that you experience when you get here. You love this idea of being part of a faith community that fires you up spiritually. That's not love. That's selfishness, arrogance, and pride. Because love serves. Love gives. Love shows up. You don't wake up on Sunday morning and be like, ah, I'm tired. I don't feel like going to church. That's not love. Let me tell you, I'm not trying to shame you. I'm trying to teach you the Bible. We've got to become disciples of the Word of God. This Bible's not here for us to get suggestions on how to live life. This is, give, this is the rule and the authority of our lives because God says, if you follow this, your life will, inc- will, will, will experience flourishing like you've never experienced before. Your actions will follow your affections. Man, I just, I'm just so in love with God. Oh, I just love God. 
but yet you dishonor his word by the way you live your life, by the way you treat people, by the decisions that you make that are absolutely contrary to the very word and the letter of his love towards you. You know, I just love God. I just want to honor him with all his life. Listen to God and do what he says. Society, culture has literally taken and hijacked this word love to mean some meaningless, common affection that we throw around that has no weight, no substance, and no meaning. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. It's not enough just to consider others. Man, that's a good thought. It says he emptied himself. Literally what this word means, it it gives us word picture of him pouring himself out. He poured all of himself. He gave all of himself. He took the form of a servant, not like a servant. Jesus became a servant. Remember how he was in the form of God? Fully, equally, totally, substance. This word, form of a servant, is meaning the exact same thing. He fully, totally, of substance, became a servant. We look, Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords, yes. But Jesus, when he walked this earth, took the posture and the position of a servant. That's why he says, the Son of Man came to serve and not be served. You tell me in Scripture where Jesus was served. Because all he did was serve other people. And was formed in the likeness of men. The creator condescended himself to take the form of his creation, to become a creature. of his own making. He entered the physical form, experiencing the entire process. He designed it from a simple zygote, going through the gestation process and growing, forming limbs, his little brain, his little heart pounding. The God who created all of this allowed himself to go through the birth canal of his creation. The pain, the bloodshed. Jesus was born in bloodshed and he died in bloodshed. A representation of what his life was to be. 
He modeled this from the cradle to the grave. He was a servant. I want you to check this out because this is something that really popped out to me as I was reading this. The scripture says he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Look at the act of communion. Jesus sitting with his friends, his disciples, who he's teaching and he's discipling and he's pouring into them. When, when individuals would walk into a home, the servant would come with a basin of water and they would wash the feet of all the special guests walking into the room. They would take a towel and they would kneel down and they would wipe their feet clean because they walked in sandals and they walked in dirt. He's sitting in a room full of 12 disciples, people who have seen him do the miraculous, people who have followed him, people who have seen him uh, proclaim uh, how, how good he is and how, uh, the glory that he contains. Uh, three of them were sitting with him at the Mount of Transfiguration when they saw him transfigured and his majesty was glorified in that moment. These individuals sit in the room and they start looking around like, I ain't washing nobody's feet, ain't no servant here. Jesus, their master, their, their, their Lord, their, 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 their protector, their provider, their, their teacher, disrobes himself, emptied himself. What did it say? He took off his outer garments. The same process of taking off this outer garment of his glory and shrouding it in a human form. Jesus takes off his outer garments. He takes on a, a, a cloth of a slave. He takes the water. He goes down and takes the form of a servant and begins to wash the disciples' feet. Becoming in the likeness of man. It doesn't stop there. Look at the cross. Look at the cross. He emptied himself. They stripped off his clothes. He was disrobed. Taking the form of a servant, he goes to the cross. And what is he saying? Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they're doing. He's interceding. He's serving the people on their behalf. A man next to him says to him, hey, listen, remember me. He says, man, you will be with me in paradise. I'm going to serve you even in this moment when I could be self-serving. Their people are mocking him and jeering him. Hey, save yourself. He was like, no, I'm not concerned about me. I'm saving him. I'm serving him. Because this is what I came to do. Being born in the likeness of men, he died a man's death. God does not die, but Jesus condescended himself to the point of humanity, taking on the, the future of humanity by death and dying, being put in a grave. My God emptied himself, took the form of his servant from the cradle to the grave. Jesus removed his distinction so he could take a common posture. I don't know if we have, I think I sent this in there. I just want you guys to hear this. This is the heart of who we are and what we believe. If you go to John chapter 13, if you want to take notes, you can take these and take a look at them elsewhere. Excuse me, I just burped in the mic. Not cute. 
This is what he said. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord. You are right, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I've done. Can we celebrate the relevant youth, these feet washers, who came up and shared how they serve? Can I celebrate the feet washers that get here at 7.45 a.m. to prepare a place for individuals to come and receive and experience the glory and the majesty of Christ? Can, I, can we thank God for these feet washers, these pastors who work 40, 50-hour weeks, yet serve the church 20 to 30 hours, giving up their time, giving up their life, doing coffee and lunch with people, preaching and laboring for the word. Relevant church, we are feet washers. We're not prideful. We're not arrogant. We take the form of a servant following our Messiah, following our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We don't worry about the pain that it's going to take. We don't worry about the time that it's going to take. We don't worry about these boundaries. Why? Because my God broke every boundary so that he can come and serve you and I. I'm a feet washer. You're a feet washer. We are all called to be feet washers. I can't, I can't, I can't get 745. is just too early. Oh, I can't serve in this role because that means I'm going to have to miss service. I'm going to be outside. Uh, I'm going to be in the lobby. I'm going to be sitting at the cafe. I'm going to be in kids. I'm going to have to miss service. We got a group of teachers who are eager to run back there and be feet washers for little kids and miss a service so that y'all can have a distraction-free environment and your kids can be served. We are feet washers. And let me just tell you right now, if you're not willing to be a feet washer, This ain't the place for you. Relevant church is going to be a church for anyone, but it's not going to be the church for everyone because we are going to follow in the, dis the, the disciplines and the practices of Jesus Christ. He is our model. He is our Savior. He is our Lord, and we follow him wherever he goes. When he says, do this because I've told you and I've shown you what to do, so you go and wash each other's feet as well, too. If you want to call Relevant home, if you want to be a part of this place, this ain't going to be a place where you just come and receive. This is going to be a place where you come and give back. There's going to be a place where you pour into. You are going to empty yourself because we are feet washers. I know that's uncomfortable when you're trying to raise $133,000. You're telling people you can go to a different church. But God has not called me to pacify an audience. He's called me to pastor an army. We are feet washers. So like I told you, Today might be your bus stop. That's okay. I'm not even going to be mad at you. Why? Because we're not united. And Scripture tells us this. Can two walk together unless they're united? I can't call you a brother if you're not willing to be united with me on mission. I can't call you a sister if you're not willing to expend yourself and empty yourself like Jesus called us to. 
I'd rather have an army of 20 people than a crowd of 200. Because you know what 200 people do? They whine, they complain about why that's not this way, and why did we do this, and why can't we have this, and when can we do this? But an army says, I'm willing to empty myself. What do we need to do? Where can we serve? Who's walking in that we've never seen before? Because Sundays exist for the empty seats. They're not for us. I will give up my seat to let somebody else sit and experience the gospel. Do you know why? Because all throughout this week, I've been self-feeding. I've been sitting at the feet of Jesus. I've been learning. I've been growing. I've been studying his word. I've been at regroup. I'm surrounded by a community. I'm surrounded by the church where I'm doing life with them. I'm diving deep with them. So when we show up on Sunday, we're coming in to serve. We're coming in here to create a space for the prodigal son and daughter to come home. Welcome home. Told you some of y'all not going to like this message. Damn, we still got a long way to go. I'm going to end it here. I have one simple question for you. Team, I changed the question, so you don't even need to put it up. Danae, you can come up. Do you have the same mind? And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do you have this mind? Do you have the mindset of Christ? Can I tell you because this is the desire and this is the collective mindset of this house. Unity is the greatest strength of any formable movement. And if we're going to be a church that leads people to discover that Jesus is relevant. It teaches people how to passionately follow Jesus. Love across boundaries. Go out and make a tangible difference in their community, their region, and world, just like Jesus did. We are going to need to adopt the submissive mindset 
because this is the mindset of Christ. It's not selfish. It's not prideful. It doesn't use Christianese jargon like boundaries. It empties itself. It takes the form of a servant. It goes and is obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Do you understand that the cross was not just a simple form of capital punishment? In the Western world, we are so... We're so spoiled in every single way. Even capital punishment, there's got to be human dignity. They can't feel it. Jesus felt every whip, every latch, every stab, every hit, every point of pain, physically. The cross was carefully crafted to be the absolute ultimate form of human degradation and humiliation. The cross that was the gateway to you and I being justified before God while Jesus, the Son of God, was crushed for our sin, was physically excruciating emotionally excruciating, socially excruciating as this was done in public for the entire community to see and witness. It was death by asphyxiation. It was death by suffocation. You were removed and stripped of all your human dignity. It was the ultimate form of being empty. And it said Jesus was obedient to this to the point of death, even death on the cross. And then you know what he tells us? If you will follow me, you have to take up your cross. Here's the problem with modern day Christianity. We want the benefits of the cross, but not the responsibility of the cross. God has not called us to a comfortable Christianity, a cultural experience and expression where we skip around. for the glory of Christ. What does it say at the end? And every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. At Relevant Church, we are committed to cultivating the submissive mind because it is the mind of Christ. And I believe anyone if you call yourself a believer, if you call yourself a Christian, can adopt 
and develop this mindset by doing two things. Observe and obey. Observe and obey. What does observation mean? Look to Jesus. Learn about Jesus. What does scripture tell us? Because by beholding, we become changed. As we study, as we learn about, as we gaze at the majesty, the supremacy, the kindness, the condescension of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as we observe his humility, as we observe his service, we too will become changed. We too will begin to adopt the heart of Christ. But adoption without action is incomplete. We must obey. We don't like those words. I'm sorry. You're sitting in church. It's biblical. We serve a God who's transcendent of all. He calls us to obey his word. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. If you want to develop the heart of Christ, if you want to develop the mindset of Christ, if you want to experience joy, you've got to develop the mindset of Christ. So let me ask you, do you have this mind? This is a discipleship conversation. Do you have this mind? This is Paul telling his church, you got to have this mind. If you want to experience joy, you got to have this mind. Paul is teaching that joy not only comes from having a single mind, but being unified with the mindset of Christ, the submissive mind. Why? Because this is the mind that led Christ to empty himself, taking the form of a servant, being obedient to the point of death. In his humility, he received the greatest honor. And you know what he tells us? In Revelation, it says the one who conquers, conquers arrogance, conquers pride, conquers selfishness, conquers self-servingness. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. The one who conquers, who overcomes the self-serving nature of humanity, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. You want to experience joy? Enter into the submissive mind. You want to experience hope? Enter into the submissive mind. If you want to experience true exhilaration, have the mindset of Christ because in it you will find that as you seek the peace and the prosperity of someone else, in it you will find your peace. In it you will find your prosperity. In it you will find your joy. In it, you will find your satisfaction. I know it's an oxymoron, but I'm just giving out. God says, listen, if you give out, I will always pour in. If you hand out, I will always hand to you. Thank you again for joining us on the Relevant Church Podcast. If this message has been impactful to you, let us know by sending an email to hello at thisisrelevant.cc. If God is impacting your life through this ministry, Join us in reaching others by investing at giving.thisisrelevant.cc.
Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast for more messages like this one.